Hey, hi, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond Eight Figures. This is AJ, the journeyman entrepreneur of another Beyond Eight Figure episode for you. On the show, we talk with top entrepreneurs about the realities of building an eight-figure business, what success really means to them, and hear from them about some of their winning strategies and tactics. Tune in to each episode to learn how to grow your business beyond 10 million and, more importantly, create your own personal legacy. I always love when I get to talk with entrepreneurs who look at entrepreneurism in a different frame than I do. I think too often people think of entrepreneurism as creating something out of the own madness of their head. Today's guest actually went about it a different way. She learned early on the benefit of going and finding technical, you know, madness, you know, technical geniuses and partnering with them to create companies that could grow and create things. Plus she combined it with her dedication to environmental causes and improving the world to create really amazing technical company in IR labs. But then from this strength, she switched completely into the finance world and went and created Sphere, which is really pretty interesting because what it's focused on is helping individuals at companies invest their 401k money in non-oil and gas companies, but still getting the benefit of, you know, the, the top companies in the U S wow. I should do this. I should know this because I invest a lot of money in this stuff, but, but basically being able to invest your money. So you're focusing on companies that are doing, that are not harming the planet. Now, what's really pretty interesting about this, and we're seeing more and more is that gas companies are starting to see their cost of capital increasing the bonds, the margins for their stock, their margins are decreasing, their bond costs are increasing compared to similar revenue producing companies. So who cares? Long-term though, that's going to reduce their profitability. And if they want to increase because stockholders want profitability and they want nice, big, fat, juicy growth in their stock, they're going to have to either one, start becoming greener and start investing more into, you know, renewable energy or two, kind of shuffle off this mortal coil. And that's going to be an interesting concept over the next 10 to 15 years. So today's guest is really in the forefront of helping individuals make an impact with their money. So please let's bring on the CEO and founder of Sphere and the co-founder of AR Labs, Alex Wright Gladstein to the show. Hello, Alex. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm really excited to have you here today. Thanks so much for having me, AG. No, I mean, as I was just talking, you know, with the audience a second ago, you're doing, you know, two really, I mean, you're doing a lot of very cool things, but you know, with IR labs and now sphere, it seems like you're really building this, you know, really impactful, you know, environmentally friendly. And I know I'm being kind of bland and even saying it that way. But these companies to kind of help, you know, move conscious, you know, environmental consciousness a lot forward. I would love to know how you see your own entrepreneur journey. Where do you, where do you see yourself on your own 
entrepreneurial journey these days? Well, I have always been driven by wanting to have an impact on climate change. It's been a common thread in my career, even going back to when I was in college. And in college, I, I was passionate about preventing climate change, but I wasn't sure how I wanted to have that impact. And I ended up having a lot of different internships in different fields, uh, in science, in labs. I did one in DC, thinking policy is important. You kind of learned through those experiences what I what I didn't enjoy. <laughs> and then I ended up doing a, an internship at a venture capital firm uh, called Lux Capital that at the time was focused on nanotech, which was a buzzword back then. And, and somebody who was really influential to the founding partners of Lux Capital was this person, Larry Bach, who had founded 20 different companies by going around to labs around the country and convincing inventors of, of different nanotech technologies to, to spin out the technologies and start companies. 14 of those companies had gone public. And in learning about his career, I realized, wow, that's what I want to do. I want to be a serial entrepreneur that founds climate tech companies instead of nanotech companies. And so I realized I should probably have some business experience if I was going to be the business co-founder of a technology startup. So I uh, went and worked at a company called Enerdoc for a few years, and then I got an MBA at MIT really as an excuse to meet people who were inventing things that could have an impact on climate across campus. And that's where I met my co-founders for my first company, IR Labs. And, and we spun that out, grew it to the point where it's, it is now. We have over 80 employees. We have customers like Intel who are helping get their chips communicate using light. And, and we got it to a point where I felt it could be successful without me. And so I started looking at other technologies to spin out. And that is where I started really thinking about entrepreneurship a little bit differently because I had this goal for myself to be a serial technology entrepreneur. But at this point, what I realized is I don't think technology necessarily has all the answers when it comes to climate change. And there are some real systemic issues in society that we need to address if we're going to turn this thing around. And so that's what we're doing with Sphere. Something that's really encouraging to me is that just in the past three or so years, public opinion in the U.S. has gone from 30% of Americans being worried about climate change to over 80% of Americans being worried now about climate change. There's been this enormous shift in public opinion on the issue, which has really stood out to me as somebody who I always felt like I was the crazy person in the corner being like, guys, we should be worried about this for most of my life. And most people would hear me and say, yeah, you know, whatever. And now anytime I say, guys, we should be worried about climate change, everyone I talk to is leaning in and saying, yes, I agree. I'm worried too. What can we do? And so that massive shift in public opinion is so encouraging to me. And a lot of the systems that surround us in society haven't caught up to that, that public opinion where we are now with over 80% of Americans being worried about climate change. And so at Sphere, what we're doing is we're harnessing that shift and 
trying to create really systemic change and, and using the fact that money talks and we can really make a big yeah. impact with our money. So I'm excited to be kind of entering this new phase of my entrepreneurial journey where I'm moving actually away from deep tech, which is where I thought I would spend my career and into uh, the world of finance, which, which is a lot of fun. Now, in building this, you know, what are you finding sort of different about, you know, since, you know, you're moving from tech into finance, what are you finding most different as part of your, as being an entrepreneur moving into, you know, the finance, the financial space? I would say for my own experience, uh, a huge change is that when I was a deep tech entrepreneur, I was the business partner to inventors of technologies. So it was very much a partnership. And I thought of myself as a steward of this technology that others had already been working on for a decade before I came along. For some context, my co-founders for IR Labs invented the world's first ever processor to communicate using light. And they made that invention in 2015. They had been working on it since 2005 across this big research partnership between MIT, UC Berkeley, University of Colorado Boulder. And the U.S. Department of Defense, through this agency called DARPA, the Advanced Funding Agency, had funded it with many millions of dollars. And then I came along at the end of, of that when we made the first processor to communicate using light and helped convince them to start a company to get that technology out to the world. And so I always felt like a, a steward of the technology. I wanted to do everything I could to make sure that this product got into people's hands and was useful in the world. And it's a very different style of entrepreneurship, one that it really matters to, to form a founding team that is strong and works well together, and then really help grow that team and supplement that team with more people who can help grow the company and make it successful. Whereas today with Sphere, I don't have inventors as co-founders. It's really just an idea that I think can make a big change in the world. So I'm a solo founder and I have to say that experience is quite different, but I'm really benefiting from a huge amount of learnings from, from the first time around. With the first company, we, we raised money from angel and venture capital investors. And I've learned a lot about venture capital fundraising. Through, through several rounds, a $2.5 million seed round, then a, a $20 million Series A, over $30 million for the Series B. We also raised money from government grants and the many millions of dollars as well. And all of those experiences have really helped me understand how to approach fundraising for Sphere, even though it's a very different type of company. And then same thing with hiring, building a culture, forming partnerships negotiating, I have to say just lots of business lessons from the first time around that, yeah. that really help out this time. <laughs> so you had a bit of muscle memory, but you had to adapt into new spaces or at least slightly different talent across that. And when I've been going through the sites, I've been really, what kind of struck me is the effort to kind of create a community in Sphere. And I'm really excited to see sort of what you do with that, because, you know, as a business owner, 401ks for teams, as someone who's offered it in the past, it's, 
a cluster, <laughs> just to be mm -hmm. polite and to give choice and to kind of do that. To be able to offer that type of plan and then hope, you know, hopefully as you go deeper, even more, I think it's fascinating from, you know, business owner's point of view, but I would love to know sort of what you're thinking about in developing the community aspect of that. It's true. We really have two audiences here at Sphere. And I guess I haven't given the overview of Sphere. So for the quick overview, it's yeah. that. Yeah, please. We're solving a problem that I came across when I was running IR Labs, which was that I wanted to offer an option to our employees in our 401k that wasn't invested in fossil fuel companies. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a simple request to our 401k providers back in 2016 when I first asked for it, but it turned out to be much harder than I realized. It took over three years for us to get a fossil-free option for our employees. And I was just shocked at how long it took and how hard it was. And I started digging into trying to figure out why that was. And I talked to a lot of experts in the 401k industry, and I learned that there are some structural reasons that it's very hard to have fossil-free options in 401ks, but none of them seemed to be insurmountable, just seemed like no one had ever tried to make it easy before. And so one thing that we're doing with Sphere is we're, we're making it easy. We're checking all the boxes of what the CFO, what the head of HR, what they need to see to know that they're meeting what's called their fiduciary duty in offering yes. responsible options to their employees for their retirement savings. But what we're also doing, and equally important, is we're growing this social movement. Because the other thing I found out when I started digging into this, when I was still leading IR labs is that I wasn't alone in wanting this option. Turned out there were other CEOs of clean tech companies that were looking for fossil free options too, coming up against mm -hmm. the same issues I was. And there were employees at big companies, at companies like Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, who've been asking for fossil free investment options for years and not getting them for the exact same reasons that I was struggling to offer them to, to our employees at IR labs. And so what I realized is there's already this movement. It's not very well known. Most people have no idea that they're invested in fossil fuel companies. Uh, and once they realize it, they're not very happy about that. And so part of what we're doing with Sphere is we're really amplifying the voices of those employees who are asking for fossil free options. We're helping them grow the movement within their own spheres of influence, within their companies by both arming them with information on why they can, you know, why their employers can offer fossil free options while maintaining their fiduciary duty and also increasing the public conversation around the issue. So really, you know, we'll be focusing on getting a lot of press coverage on, around the fact that over 80% of Americans are worried about climate change, but 99% of Americans with retirement savings are invested in fossil fuel companies so that people start to, to realize that divesting, stopping investing in these companies is one of the biggest ways they can have an impact on climate change. And even more so, not just with their own money, but if they can lead a movement within their companies and get their colleagues that option as well, they can really amplify the impact that they have. On average, we have uh, $6,000 per person invested in fossil fuel companies. The average American, some of these big companies have hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars invested in the fossil fuel industry in their 401k plans. 
And so a single employee leading that movement can really have an enormous impact. And making a statement to fossil fuel companies of, hey, we don't like your behavior. We're going to stop investing in you until you change that behavior. Stop lobbying against climate legislation that would keep us safe. Once you do that, we'll invest in you again. So, so that's what the social movement is all about. I really, really do like that. As it moves forward, do you see though adapting to cover other aspects of environmental friendliness, companies, environmental responsibility, you know, cause a company may not be an oil company, but may still have a negative environmental impact from other aspects. Is that something you see, or is this more of just focusing at least for now on the oil companies and trying to divert as much money as possible from them? We absolutely plan to address additional issues moving forward. And our strategy is to show that this approach to change, the, the money talks is what I call it, approach to change works. So we're, we're all in on climate as our first issue and the fossil fuel companies who are the biggest polluters in the world and who are currently blocking legislation from being passed that could keep us safe. Once we can show that the money talks approach to change works, we'll start applying it to other issues. And it won't even be just limited to environmentalism. It'll also be, you know, gender equality, racial equality, maybe the prison industrial complex, which it turns out we all also invest in, in our 401k plans. There are so many important issues that we can shine a light on by using our money in more intentional ways. And that's what we're all about. No, I, I really do like that because, I mean, everyone always talks about the pocketbook impact, but <laughs> pocketbook is one thing. Their funding and their finances is even more important. That's a much larger. I mean, they're both very related, but the more that money can be pulled away and raised awareness, I think is pretty impressive. It's I, true. And something yeah. that the, that a, a lot of people don't realize is actually the narrative of how we should each pay attention to how we spend our own money, our pocketbook. Mm -hmm. You know, we should be more conscious of where we buy our, our next t-shirt or shoes. You know, people are starting to spend a lot of time on really trying to minimize the carbon impact of their purchases, which is great. But it turns out that the the an initial idea of us each being responsible for our individual carbon footprints is one that was really pushed by the fossil fuel industry to take attention away from themselves. <laughs> they said, you know, fault. we're not the it's problem. Your it, you're the ones who are buying cars that use gasoline. So, you know, as long as you still do that, then it's not our fault. Meanwhile, ignoring the fact that, uh, they had been responsible for pushing legislation that keeps us stuck driving cars because we don't have good public transit options. You know, these are the systemic issues that we need to change and we need the fossil fuel companies to stop fighting so successfully against that type of systemic change that we need. So I agree absolutely okay. that, you know, it's great people are paying attention to individual carbon footprints and purchases, but where we invest our money could arguably have a much bigger impact. No, that is fascinating. And as someone who lives in Europe and yeah, I'm an American through and through, I somehow missed the whole thing that it's a communist, you know, whatever space here because there is, yeah, more mass transit and socialized health and other aspects that you know, sometimes our countrymen 
in the U.S. think are the worst things ever. But no, I mean, that is, and I'm, I also like that it's something actionable because I do think, you know, as you said, taking care of your own footprint, while it's, it's kind of a false story, is really responsible, but at the same time, it's very difficult when your choices are limited. But if you're taking financial backing away from companies, they're going to have to change their tune because you can't force someone to give you money, but you can kind of eliminate other types of usage choices. So yeah, I think that is pretty fascinating what you're doing in the community aspect will be great. Yeah. I am. I'm Yeah. It's something I'm looking forward to seeing as you've kind of transitioned now from, you know, one pretty you know, amazing, you know, technical company now into this, you know, growing you know, financial one. What do you see as one, what's one thing you think has had the biggest impact on improving your ability to be an entrepreneur, to help you grow as an entrepreneur? Let's see. I think the, the most important thing, honestly, has been hearing the stories of other entrepreneurs and the place where I got to do that the most, my kind of speed learning time period was while I was getting my MBA at MIT. And it's, it's kind of ironic because I was very, yeah, I guess you could call it utilitarian about wanting to go to MIT for an MBA. I didn't actually go there with big plans to learn a lot from the course materials. It was really purely an excuse to meet scientists and engineers across campus who were inventing things that could have an impact on climate change. So I was actually really surprised when in the coursework, I ended up learning so much. It was really invaluable and really essentially what that MBA program did, you know, I selected for all the courses that were, that had entrepreneurial in the name, right? So entrepreneurial sales, entrepreneurial finance, whatever it was, just put entrepreneurial in front of it. And what that meant was that in each class, the professors were bringing in entrepreneurs to share their experiences. So I heard from dozens, hundreds, maybe even more of different entrepreneurs about their own experiences. And that was before even starting my first company. And so that gave me a wealth of knowledge that was just so helpful in, in starting my first company. I think the one piece of advice that I heard from pretty much every guest speaker in every class I ever had, that it was the only thing that was repeated every time, no matter who was speaking, was to be really intentional about hiring because it can feel so hard as an entrepreneur to, to be able to spend the time on hiring that you should to be able to make the right decisions because you have so much going on. You're so busy all the time. And so it can be really easy to take shortcuts and just bring someone on because you really desperately need to fill a hole. But it can be really, really hard to reverse mistakes. And so it's worth spending the time on making the right decisions in hiring. And even if it means you go a few months without someone in that role, but you end up finding the right person, that's worth doing. And that was something that I was just amazed at how many times I heard that advice from different entrepreneurs. And so I, I very intentionally put that to practice at IR Labs and at Sphere. You know, I would like to ask you, because I, th you know, you talked about finding the right person, but how do you define intentional? Because this is something that a lot I've heard from other guests um, about developing intentional practices, intentional hiring, employee first type of organization. How do you define intentional and then intentional hiring, I guess? I guess 
the word intentional itself, what I would mean by that is spending time on it. As an entrepreneur, your time can be spent in so many different ways, and it can be hard to know how to prioritize your time. And so hiring just always needs to be one of those things that you do prioritize and spend a good amount of time on. It will always be worth it. So I think that's that's what I mean by being intentional. It means spending the time on it, really putting thought into it, also collecting feedback from others. So not trying to do it in a void by yourself, but getting maybe advisors or other team members or just other people. It could just be references when you're hiring, but, but bringing in as much data as you can from different sources, spending time processing that data, and then making your decision. Hiring is an area where that's really worthwhile. And for hiring, intentional hiring in particular, I really am a believer that it's super hard to assess the quality of any person you might hire based on interviews. I think interviews have pretty much no correlation with quality of work. And so you have to find other ways to assess whether somebody's a good fit for a role and for the company. And and the way that we do it at IR Labs, and that I've done it even in finding co-founders or figuring out who I want to launch a company with as founding partners, is, is working together, actually working on a project together prior to committing to each other. So in an interview, what that looks like is sending them a project ahead of time. You know, you do your screening interview on the phone and then you send them a project. You say, don't spend more than an hour or two on this, but we want you to think about this problem, put together some slides on how you would go about solving this problem and then come in and present it to us. And you want that problem to be pretty much exactly what you're going to have them work on on day one on the job. So very much reflective of what their actual responsibilities will be. And then what you're assessing when they come in and present is, A, do they, you know, are they taking the approach that would be helpful? And oftentimes you're hiring for something where you have a hole. So you want them to be bringing in new knowledge, new expertise that no one on your team has. It should be helpful information that, that you're kind of gathering from these presentations. You also want to, to have a group of people who they're presenting to who is interrupting frequently, asking questions, wondering how they got there, and you want to see how they interact with them. And, and that, I think, is a much more useful way of, of figuring out if someone's a fit for a role than uh, a traditional interview. No, I, I like that approach because I use you know, paid projects a lot in you know, final candidates, but I like the a more, you know, that definite part of presenting to the group and day one you know, type of engage, you know, project that's probably a lot smarter than giving them some project around this thing. So I like that a lot. I mean, thank you. I mean, it is, I think it's sometimes some, a phrase that people use a lot, but I know a lot of entrepreneurs where we're in the middle of trying to do a gazillion things, we blank. I know I blanked. I've talked with other entrepreneurs and it's like, how to be more intentional. And I really do appreciate you breaking it out for us because I do think that is a really powerful way of going about bringing intention into the hiring. So thank you very, very much on that. I, I really do like that. Yeah, you know, we've talked about what you think is really important with fear and just, you know, moving, you know, the holding the finance, you know, holding companies responsible financially. What is something you find really interesting that's going on now? It could be 
part of what's going on with your companies. It could be something out there, out there. Sorry, everyone. I'm pointing off into the distance. Podcasts are great for hand gestures. Something you're finding very interesting that you think is going to have an impact in yours or others' entrepreneurial journey. You know, I am just continuously um, amazed by the youth movements of of the past few years. And this this goes beyond climate, but I'll I'll focus on climate since that's my it's what I know. Well, Greta is one, and she's very famous. I think partially because it's it's easy for us to get to know an individual and their story, and she's she's had such a huge impact. She she's incredible at holding us accountable and speaking truth to power. But in the United States, in particular, the Sunrise Movement, this movement no one had heard about three years ago. And a lot of you maybe still haven't heard of them. And that's because they very intentionally do not have a single figurehead, a single leader. They have done something similar to what the Black Lives Matters movement have done, where they empower local leaders in their own communities and have, have this, this model of many leaders. The Sunrise Movement is the movement that stormed Nancy Pelosi's office three years ago and demanded that she put climate change on the Democratic agenda for the first time. They they invented the Green New Deal and made it a national talking point. And they, I think, are probably some of the most responsible people on making climate change go from being something that not too many Americans were worried about to now we're all extremely worried about it. They brought that sense of urgency. And now a lot of those young people who stormed Nancy Pelosi's office three years ago are part of the Biden administration crafting the climate legislation that, that he's proposing to Congress. So the amount of change that they've been able to create in such a short amount of time, both in public opinion in this country, as well as in crafting real legislation that gives us a chance of actually turning this thing around and, and getting it to the point of of where it is today, which is it could become uh, law. It's just incredible and something that I think if you asked the older generation four or five years ago, if that speed of change was possible, no one would have believed that it would be possible. And the youth are proving us wrong. So I'm just extremely grateful for the passion and the work that, that, that young people are putting into this movement and the reframing of the problem, making it not just about saving the polar bears or saving the forests, but really about equality, fundamentally, about, about creating equality for all humans in, in the United States and around the world. And, you know, climate change is a human problem. They've, they've just done a fantastic job of doing that. And it really inspires me. It gives me hope. And I think will lead to amazing transformations around the world in society, but also in industry. I think every single company now is facing pressure to become more green. Everybody is coming up with climate action plans, regardless of what industry the company is in. It's just now all of a sudden it's required. It's table stakes. And I think all of that stemmed from this, this movement of young people. Yes, Greta Thunberg, but also the Sunrise Movement in this yeah. country. Wow. Definitely we'll spend some time looking at that. Um, Looking, my family and I were looking to move back to the States and I know this is something I could see my children being very, very much involved in as we try and do stuff here, but it's, it's different in Europe. I think, I mean, different parts of Europe definitely are different. Well, Europe has been, has 
has for a long time been much more progressive on on understanding the threat that climate change poses to us. And something that's really interesting I found out recently is that Europe actually passed the European Green New Deal already. We're still fighting to get something like that passed in the U.S. Europe already did it. It just shows how much how much more uh, aware of the environment Europeans tend to be culturally than than Americans. But it's also been the effort of a lot of of young people and youth movements in every country across Europe with Fridays Fridays for the Future movement. Yes, been to a few of those. Yes, no, that is no. Really very cool. Thank you. Now, one thing, given, you know, given, you know, looking at the Sunrise Movement, looking at what moving from IR to Sphere or, you know, continuing with both, but focusing more on Sphere, how are you defining as an entrepreneur for yourself? You know, I know we, we can talk OKRs, we can talk all different concepts about corporate success and business success and all that, but how is the, as an entrepreneur, are you defining your own success? For me, it's very black and white. It always has been. I think it's probably pretty different from most entrepreneurs because I've always been motivated by turning around climate change. And Mm -hmm. something that really shocked me when I started thinking about what companies start next after IR labs, and I was, I was talking to a lot of engineers and scientists about technologies we could spin out of labs because I was expecting to do the same thing again. I was really surprised to come across this website. I think it's called the Carbon Clock website, and it tells us how long we have until we hit one and a half degrees Celsius of warming, which is the point beyond which it becomes pretty catastrophic, according to scientists. Yeah. And that website said that we have seven years left at current emissions rates. If if we don't change something fast, we'll be living in a a very scary world in seven years. And that just made me realize, wow, I don't have my whole life ahead of me to be spinning out technology after technology to make an impact on climate. I need to have as big an impact as I possibly can in the next seven years. So the goal that we've set out for ourselves with Sphere is to get global binding legislation passed that limits warming to one and a half degrees in four years. Mm -hmm. So before that seven years arrives, we need to have that legislation in place. There's been, you know, with all of the sustainability goals and climate goals that companies have been starting to, to publish for themselves, there's been a lot of talk of net zero by 2050. And Really, the goal of our social movement is to change that conversation to, hey, let's let's not go past one and a half degrees seven years from now. Let's have that be our goal. And that's where we're trying to move the conversation. And that's where we're really using this money talks approach to change. And so for me, success as an entrepreneur is maintaining this beautiful world that we live in, keeping it beautiful, keeping the the, the coral reefs thriving, keeping the rainforests alive, preventing too much of California from burning down or too much of the world from getting too pummeled by hurricanes. And really, I've boiled that down for myself to, to, to preventing us from, from passing one and a half degrees Celsius of warming in seven years. Measurable, big, and you know, provable. Love it. That is 
Thankfully, I'm not alone in the fight. Thankfully, there are many much smarter people than me working on this amazing fight. And I just think that if we can have any impact on reducing the friction that they're facing from the fossil fuel industry, helping the fossil fuel industry come to the table and participate in this conversation rather than be obstructionist, speed along that legislation a little faster than it otherwise would have been able to get put in place, that that will be very worthwhile. Wow. I, yeah, that is, that is a great goal and it's a great definition, you know, for using, you know, entrepreneurism to create benefit, you know, to create change. And yeah, I'm, that's very, very, very cool. Thank you so much, Alex, for coming on the show. I really, really do appreciate, you know, I know you're very busy. I know you have a lot going on right now and yeah, I think this, yeah, there's a lot we learned as an entrepreneur, but also a lot that I think a lot of us can, you know, learn and try and do better and look for better solutions involved. So thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. That was a great conversation with Alex and thank you so much for coming on the show. I mean, I think it's so important for so much of our audience and, you know, I know for myself to realize the impact we can have with the business choices we make. I mean, specifically in talking about sphere, helping guide money away from the fossil fuels into better, you know, choices is financially beneficial has been shown, you know, with the returns and everything, but you know, just long-term just to make the world better from the consideration of what's showing that 80% of Americans are worried about climate change or worried about the impacts, forget the political structure. Cause that's just an argument in a box for you know, television or whatever. But the reality is, you know, we can make the world better with our own choices and those that we get, you know, that we help those we work with make. So go check out sphere. Yeah. If this is something, go sign up on the newsletter, go look at offering it to your employees. This is something that can make a big difference and, you know, really does impact what the future is. I really think, you know, also just one other thing to really look at how she learned about the different way of doing business, which yes, a lot of us, you know, are so caught up in our own head that we think we have to create and build, she went out and really understood that there was this opportunity to go find other people who had, you know, not madness, but their own technical capabilities, especially in the environmental tech, you know, space and looking at how to kind of create that and using that experience, going to MIT, you know, thinking it was going to be for networking and then really enjoying it. So I'm not saying you should all go to MIT, but looking at ways that you can meet other people that you could then, as you develop as an entrepreneur, create a business environment around. And that's something I think is really kind of cool to look at. You know, we may not be all looking at, all right, who are these great inventor? Yeah. The greatest inventors of all time, but there are tons of people who I know I'm working with, you know, who are early in their journey and creating really great work, but are just not ready to go off and create companies on their own. Well, maybe it's something, you know, 
my team and I should be looking at how we can help create this foundation. But then using, you know, what I really love is she saw as Ayer Labs was growing, she then saw the next step in her pursuit of making the world better was to look at the finance side, looking at fintech and looking at ways to guide money away from the oil companies and then possibly even a broader state of companies to help guide a better world. Yes, it's her consideration, her set, but I think it's pretty spot on. So look, use your foundation. Don't be locked into like, I must rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. If you want to, that's fine. But look at what's possible given your broader mission as we've talked numerous times with other entrepreneurs. It's like, what do you want to do in the world? And focus on that. So, you know, I definitely think Alex has shown us that is so important and so much more possibility is available to us if we really just focus on what we want to create the change of. Be the change you want to create. So once again, great episode. Please go check out Sphere, sign up, get your employees in there. Go do that. Go check out Alex's, you know, IR Labs, et cetera. Go, please. If you enjoyed the episode, share with someone you think would get the benefit from this. We really do appreciate every share. Join us on the socialness. Join us in socialness. Join us on the social channel, on social channels. Wow. And I do this for a living. So yeah, check us out. Let us know what you think. Let us know things you would like to learn more from people you'd like to hear from. You'd like us to interview. Also, let us know what you don't like about the show. We need to get better. So please, yeah. Thank you so much for listening today. I greatly appreciate it. I can't wait to talk to you again. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. This episode of Beyond Eight Figures is over, but your journey as an entrepreneur continues. So if we can help you with anything, please just let us know. And if you like this episode, please share it with someone who might learn from it. Until next time, keep growing and find the joy in your journey. This is AJ, and I'll be talking to you soon. Bye-bye.